you sound even better when I heard you singing all glory be to Christ and you sounded great this morning how many of you would rather be here today than in a snowstorm in Idaho yeah how about you'd rather be here than in the hospital in the intensive care unit okay now, notice I didn't say Hawaii because I know some of you. I'd rather be here than any other place I know with God's people together opening the Word of God and sharing the Word of God. This morning, I want you particularly to zone in. Don't zone out. Turn your phones off today, okay? Turn them off. You say, is that a pastoral declaration? Yes. Turn them off. Because today, if you get distracted, you might miss one of the most exciting assignments that God has ever given you. Jesus said this. Listen to the words of Jesus. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. That's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 20, verse 26. Let me, let me share a story to get us going this morning, a true story. Years ago, I received this letter as a pastor, and it was addressed to me as the senior pastor, and it went something like this. I knew it was an unusual letter. Dear Reverend Pastor Brother Dr. Alan Spear, I've been attending numerous churches over the last few months. These last six months have been some of the most intimidating experiences of my life. I don't know the words to the songs. I didn't know what an offering envelope was, let alone ever seen one. When the guy said, turn in your Bibles, I thought he meant to pass them down the road. When he said to the book of Hebrews, I didn't know if that was another book or what, but everyone in my area was there. 15 minutes later, I stumbled across the right page, and I'm quite sure that the whole section noticed me. It was then that I began to realize that church people speak a special language. The church people were saints who had been predestined, sanctified, and glorified because of the substitutionary atonement and propitiation. And they extended the right hand of church fellowship, and I didn't know if that was some sort of secret handshake or what. And then they sang, Here I Raise Mine Ebenezer, and wrapped up by singing something called a doxology. I noticed robe-wearing pastors quoting a lot of Greek and Hebrew words in their sermons. And then I came to your church. And I was greeted at the door by someone who I actually felt they were happy that I was there. The words of the songs were on a large screen in front of me, and the musicians or band, it was rocking. And I enjoyed it. And it seemed that they were not performers, but presenters and really embraced what they were singing. They actually loved what they were singing. Everyone around me was friendly. I really got into the message that day about serving. When you took that big bowl of water and a towel and you washed that dude's feet in front of the congregation, I could see Jesus doing that. Now, don't misunderstand. I am new to this Jesus thing, but I'll be back next Sunday, Pastor. 
I want to hear more about being a Christ follower. Make no mistake about it, Pastor. I am unqualified, unfit, and certainly unspiritual, and I don't know how fit into how I will fit into this church thing, but I'm interested in understanding more about God and his son Jesus. And if indeed he does love me and wants to use me like you said, I'm all into this serving gig. I'll see you next Sunday. And then he signed it, Rao. And he put his girlfriend's name on there, Becky. And he said, P.S., I'm bringing my girlfriend. She lives with me, but she doesn't think God exists. I hope you don't mind her coming. One of the people I met asked me to bring her and then invited us for lunch following the service. I think she may be getting into this church thing. Many of our churches, ladies and gentlemen, in this country... Many of our Southern Baptist churches have a serious problem. I call it spiritual intimidation or a culture of elitist spiritual attitudes that run counter to everything that the New Testament said. What, what did Jesus and the disciple Peter have in common? They, they didn't have advanced theological degrees or seminary degrees of any kind. I'm not against seminary. I attended. I know some of you wonder sometimes. Jesus and Peter spoke in plain language to normal people. Jesus empowered people instead of intimidating them. Jesus' approach to people was as a liberator, not a conqueror. Rather than intimidating, Jesus inspired people. Now write this down. Every Christian is called... And every Christian is gifted. If you're a Christ follower, then you are called to serve. I, I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, if you're a Christian, you're called. Go ahead, it's okay. And if you're not, you can be. If you're not a Christian, you can be. Go ahead, tell them. Don't get intimidated by that. And then turn to your neighbor and say, if you're a Christian, you're gifted. Now, don't add a lot of vocabulary to that. Some of you were adding there. Jesus drove this home in the sixth chapter of the book of Mark, Mark's gospel. I want you to turn there. The disciples and the and 5,000 of their closest friends had been listening to Jesus all day long. It was getting late. Everyone is, was exhausted. They were baked by the sun. The disciples could hear the people's stomachs growling. Have you ever been in one of those meetings? And you heard someone's stomach. It sounded like a roaring lion. I was in one of those meetings this week, and it was my stomach. And everybody kind of looked down at the end of the table. I said, that's me. I'm hungry. I get cranky when I get hungry, so this meeting better get over. You see, Jesus... Jesus and his disciples had heard these people's stomachs and they were worried that the people might start growling at them. And, and worse, it seemed Jesus somehow was oblivious to the whole situation. The disciples, man, their anxiety level starts to rise to the point that they went to Jesus. And in essence, if you'll let me, let me give you the ATS, Alan Thomas Spear Paraphrased Edition. 
Look at verse 35, 36. Here's basically what they said. Jesus, it's late. This place is deserted. It's desolate. The people are hungry and they're going to get angry. And it's not, it's not safe, Jesus. Stop, stop these starving, man, let these starving people go home. Jesus then shocked the disciples. Look at verse 37. Look what he said. You give them something to eat. Huh? We've just told you the problem, Jesus. Don't you understand it? With no resources, the disciples replied something like, you've got to be kidding. What are you talking? You're going to delegate this to us? We don't have any food? What, what in the world do you expect us to do? We're broke fishermen. We don't have what it takes. Look at verse 38. <clears throat> Jesus said, well, what do you have? What do you have? I'm going to ask every person in this room today, what do you have that could be used for the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, as the old radio commentator Paul Harvey used to say, and now, the rest of the story, which involves stealing a kid's lunchbox, his sushi, and bread for everyone, 5,000 people full of food, baskets of leftovers, and 12 stunned disciples. Jesus was trying to get something through to his disciples and to the rest of us who would come after them. Stop being intimidated by what you don't have. Stop thinking you don't have what it takes. Stop thinking you don't matter and start serving. Timothy was a young, insecure, overwhelmed, tired, and, and in, in a way over his head kind of guy. From all indications, he was worn down, he was worn out, he had lost his passion, he had lost his confidence, he has lost his vision and his nerve. I like what Paul wrote to this young, insecure, over his head, Christ follower, fan into flame the gift of God which is in you. He is saying to Timothy, and no doubt to you and to me this morning, I want you to get your fire back. You need to get your hopes back up. Don't waste the one life you get to live. So how do you rediscover this fresh vision from God for, for not only your life but for service? I'm glad you asked because I want to give you the answer this morning. Let's get at it. Number one, realize What's at stake, ladies and gentlemen? Oh, well, what is at stake? Everything. The threat of Christianity is not atheism or materialism or even communism. It is not even the onslaught of Islam. The greatest threat to Christianity are Christians who are trying to sneak into heaven incognito without ever having shared their faith. Share the gospel and get busy doing it. But pastor, I'm not eloquent, neither was Moses. I, 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 I stutter sometimes, it's okay. 
Just share your story. Share what Christ has done. And if he really hasn't done anything that you can share, you probably need to go back and reevaluate what you have. You see, I'm always convinced that if Christians are not sharing the gospel, if they're not sharing their story, they may not have what they think they have. I'm not interested in whether you're a member of a Baptist church or, yeah, I'm interested somewhat, but that's not my primary interest. Can I tell you, I'm interested if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if Jesus has radically changed your life. That's what I'm interested in. I've been a Southern Baptist all my life, but I have always said this, and my father heard me say this many, many times, and he was a Southern Baptist pastor. I I said, listen, the moment Southern Baptists decide to go a different way other than the way of Jesus and the way of his word, I'm going with Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, I love being a Southern Baptist. Again, I have been one most of my uh, lifetime. But I will tell you that I was a Christian before I was a Southern Baptist, and I'm still a Christian before I'm a Southern Baptist. I'm a Southern Baptist because we're people of the book. And if we we don't remain people of the book, then then I'm going to remain with the book. I'm going to remain with the Word of God. But listen, realize what's at stake. Somebody is watching you. Somebody is 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 checking you out on a daily basis to see if really what you have is true. Uh, I'll never forget in one of the churches where I pastored in southern Illinois, there was a young lady, her and her three sons that began to come to our church. Her sister and her brother-in-law came to our church and we welcomed Cindy and, and Cindy had just been through a horrific divorce and and her boys were were little stair steps they were like two and four and six and the oldest one was was just all of them were cute but the oldest one he, he was a character he he was all boy and we had had a big lake fellowship and I was out on my jet ski and and we had gone out in the boat and and we had taken those boys you know and we had gotten on the, the one of my members had a big boat and they they had uh it was like a floating couch you got on that couch and then Jack would would push that hammer down on that boat and lift you up out of that water and you just skim across that water it was fun but it was scary and that little boy says, Pastor, he had a little speech impediment. He said, Pastor, he said, I want to wide on that couch. And I asked his mother, and she said, yeah. She said, just don't let him go too fast. I said, okay, we'll figure it out. We got a life preserver on him, and the little boy got on that couch with me and several others. And, and Jack, not thinking, just and man, that thing came up out of the water, and I'm thinking, oh, Lord, I'm going to be doing a funeral, or maybe they're going to be doing mine. And the little boy looked at me, and he said, whew, he said, that was scary. He said, Pastor, are you Dodd? I said, what? He said, are you Dodd? Are you God? I said, no. He said, do you represent him? And I said, uh, yeah. He said, do it, because I thought we were going to die. <laughs> he said, Jack, go faster. 
next time. And he wanted more adventure. When I got off that ride and I took him back to his mother and she said, he's, he's pretty curious. I said, yeah, he asked me if I was God. She said, you know why? I said, no, Cindy. I said, why? She said, because he's never seen a man that loves God. His dad beat him. He watched his dad beat his mother. He didn't know what a picture of God was. You see what's at stake? Are those six-year-olds that watch us and that come, and many of them will come to this church, and they don't have role models. They don't have male uh, role models in their lives, and they're going to watch some man around here that actually treats his wife well. They're going to watch some leader in the children's ministry that actually exalts and names the name of Jesus, and they're going to see a picture of God. They're going to see a picture of who Jesus is. Ladies and gentlemen, we must realize what's at stake. But secondly, we have to stop being a spectator. Oh, man. Hall of Fame coach Bud Wilkinson popularized a description of the spectator sport of American football. 22 boys on a field badly in need of rest being watched by 40,000 people in the stands. That's a low crowd now. Badly in need of exercise. 40,000 people show up for a ball game. They all need exercise. And when I heard that description, I thought of the evangelical church in America. Our culture is a spectator's culture. We watch movies. We watch television. We have iPads and Kindles and all kinds of devices. I cannot believe my phone started telling me a few months ago how much time I was watching it. Your screen time has gone up 23% this week. How does it know that? I guess that's why it's a smartphone. You know, we, we don't play sports, we watch sports. We watch movies and television series and reality TV and, and, and Netflix, and we don't watch them when they air, they're streaming, and we go to institutions of higher education and we watch and listen to teachers and professors teach. We even have churches now that you go and watch the pastor on a screen. That's interesting. Ooh, I hope I look a lot better there than I do right now. But anyway, and to live our faith, we go to church and we watch preachers preach. When what we need more today than ever before is the ability to move Christ's followers from being apathetic spectators to passionate, filled participants. Ladies and gentlemen, God never called you to be a spectator. God called you to get in the game. God called you to, to be there. I, I played collegiate football, and, and to be honest with you, even at 62, I would still put the pads on and try it. The heart still got it. Now, the hamstrings don't. But I, I still, I still, I love, you get me on a golf course, and let me tell you something, I'm going to try to beat you because I'm a competitor. And, and I'm not going to be mean or vicious about it. I may, I may trip you a couple. No, I won't do that. But, but I'm going to do everything I can to be a competitor. I do not like being a spectator. Number three, 
Stop thinking that everything is impossible. (laughs) Turn to the chapter in the Bible where God calls anyone to something easy. You won't find it. That chapter does not exist. David was called to fight a giant-sized problem. Joshua was called to military maneuvers with impossible odds. Nehemiah was called to rebuild a wall that for 92 years had proved impossible to build. Jesus has plans for us that are bigger than we think. Do you ever think God can't use you? Think again. Moses was a stutterer, and God used him to speak as an orator. David's armor didn't fit, but God used him to defeat the giant without the armor. John Mark abandoned Paul, but God used him anyway. Hosea's wife was a prostitute, but God used her. Jacob was a liar. God used him. Solomon was rich. God used him. Abraham was old, and God used him. Samson had long hair, but God used him and his hair. Timothy was young and insecure, but God used him. Peter was impetuous. I always tell people, you know, I have a lot in common with Peter. Peter always had his mouth open. He loved the taste of sock. He was always putting his foot in his mouth. I love Peter. Peter was so impetuous, but God used him. Paul was a murderer, and God used him. Jonah ran from God, but God used him. Gideon and Thomas both doubted, but God used them. Jeremiah was depressed and even to the point of suicidal, but God used him. Elijah was burned out. God used him. John the Baptist was a loud mouth. And God used him. That'll connect with some of you this morning, you see. Martha was a worry ward, and God used him, or used her. Lazarus was dead. I better not say it. But God still used him. Number four, start living for something. Everyone is trying to figure out how to live longer. I'm, I'm so amazed at all these infomercials. I, I, almost get, I almost get to the point where I belly laugh about them because everybody's trying to look younger. Had a guy, I was standing in line this week somewhere and had a guy, uh, I don't know if he thought I was retired because everybody that lives in Venice is retired. You know, Sarasota is where people, uh, to, uh, when they want to retire, they move to Sarasota and they send their parents to Venice. It's true. It's true. But I was standing in line somewhere, and I, I was doing something. And I, Oh, I was at the bank. I was at the bank for Agape. I was getting our flight cash. And this, this older guy, obviously a lot older than me, but, but maybe he didn't think he was, he looked over at me and, and, and said something about, and I, I, one of the tellers said, are you still going to the Bahamas? And I said, yeah, we'll be there six, six times this week, six, six, six flights this week. And, and uh, he said, Oh, are you retired in the Bahamas? And I said, no, no, I, I'm, I'm CEO of Agape Flights, and we're, we're doing relief help. And, and, and he said, wow, he said, you're not retired? I said, do I look like I need to be retired? And he said, well, you look pretty haggard there, buddy. I said, well, I'm a Baptist preacher. I've got a good excuse. 
I didn't quite know how to take that. You see, the oldest living human in the world right now, do you know about this? She's 116, lives in Italy. Now, that's a great goal to live a long time. However, I will tell you this. I know people who live long and have miserable lives. It's not how long you live that matters. It's how you live that matters. Studies show that the average American will live for 28,708 days. The sum of those days is your life. And every single one of those days is going to be exchanged for something. Which means this. Every person gives his or her life for something. Some people give their lives away for a career. Others give their lives to attain power or popularity, or possessions. Some give their lives away to become rich. By the way, the one who dies with the most toys still dies. Ask yourself this question. Is what I am giving my life to actually worth it? I sat with two young pastors this week. One is a missionary uh, to, to Jeremy, and he's like our adopted son, him and his wife, Lacey. His name is Mark, and, and, and they serve in, in Jeremy, Haiti, and uh, they've bought or they have built a home down in Lehigh Acres, and they have three small children, or they're not small anymore. Barrick's 10, and Amory's seven or eight, and, and Micaiah is, is two. But He's a young guy. He can hit a golf ball a long, long way. He's just strong. And then I sat with another young pastor by the name of Matt Day. Both of those guys this week, as we had lunch together, asked me a critical question. And, and I felt like, you know, I felt like the senior adult in the room. But I appreciated that because I, I appreciated the, the, the quest for what they were looking for. And both of them said, could you give us some advice? I said, oh, I'm full of advice. What, what do you need, boys? Could you tell us, Alan, after living as long as you have lived, I wasn't sure where they were going with this, would you do it any differently? Do you have any regrets? Do you have any remorse? Do you have anything that you would go back and redo? What would you keep as priorities in your life? Well, I, I spoke to them very plainly. I said, guys, the first thing, and I would say this to all of you, the first thing is this. Make sure that your relationship with Jesus Christ is vital and vibrant every day of your life. Spend time alone with the Lord every day. Get to know him. Fall in love with him on a daily basis. Don't let your personal relationship with Jesus wander or waver. Listen, if this is the only time you talk to Jesus, you're malnutritioned. you got a problem. If the only time you get anything spiritual is from a pastor, you're in trouble. Ladies and gentlemen, the most vibrant, the most, the most important thing I do on a daily basis is to get into God's word and to say, God, I, I gotta talk to you. It's to spend some time in prayer. 
The second thing I said to him was love your wife. Honor your wife. Enjoy your lives together. Love your children. Both those young pastors said, you haven't even mentioned the church yet. I said, no, I haven't, have I? I said, because both of you are called, one is a missionary, one is a, a pastor, evangelist. What, I, sure, the church is important. I have seen so many pastors make the church their priority and their wife in the background somewhere, down the list. Nowhere in Scripture will you ever find that, ladies and gentlemen. And you know why we do it sometimes? Because we're, we're, we're many times forced to do that. I want to tell you that as a pastor, as much as I love the church, as much as I love you, you're never going to be more important than my bride, my wife. And you're never going to be more important than my children. I'm going to love you. I'm going to love you, but I'm saying this for the next guy who comes. Love your pastor, honor your pastor, respect your pastor. Don't worship your pastor. He's not worthy of your worship. Jesus is worthy of your worship. But allow him the, the time that he needs to not only be with his wife and be with his children, but to be with his staff. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you something. If I had a bowl this morning of water, and a towel, I would come down to this man and I would wash his feet in front of you. I would come over to this man and I would wash his feet in front of you. I would bless him because if, if I were their pastor full time, I would be spending a lot of time with these guys. I would go over to Frank and I would wash his feet and I would spend a lot of time with him. Because as a pastor, you have to invest yourself in leaders that are going to assist you in leading. Now that was free, that wasn't in my notes. Okay, and sometimes my best preaching happens when I get away from my notes. But I would tell you that the, the, the message this morning on service is that, that we have to be able to, to give in order that the church might see the model of Christ. Now, redefine greatness. Number five, some people think greatness is connections and influence. <laughs> some people think it's, it's power and possession. Some people think it's fame and fortune. Listen, God has a whole different definition. Listen to Matthew. Matthew 19, verse 30. Many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Say what? And again, Jesus said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Two words best define the Christian life. Write these down. If you don't get anything else I'm giving you today, here they are. Serve and give. Serve and give. That's what Jesus did. He came to serve and to give. Several years ago, a member of my church who was a dental hygiene professor. Her husband was a deacon in our church. We, we had started making inroads to go to Mexico on mission trips. She came to my office and Sherry looks at, looked at me and she said, Pastor, you just have to know Sherry. She can say more in 30 seconds 
than, than most people can say in five minutes. She was just, and I'm going, ooh, 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 ooh. And she said, I really have this idea. I've got this idea, and I, I want to take dental hygienists from Southern Illinois University who, who are not Christians. They're not, they, they're not believers. We're going to take them on a mission trip. I, I said, time out, Sherry. Have you lost your mind? We're not going to take lost people on a mission trip. Why would we do that? And then she slowed down. She said, Pastor, because every night you're going to be doing a Bible study for all of us, and we've got a captive audience. They'll have to attend. This woman was smart, intelligent. So the first year I said, okay, Sherry, we'll, we'll, we'll take five. Guess what happened? They all five came to faith in Christ. I baptized them the last night in the swimming pool at the motel. We stayed before we flew out. And the next year we took 11, and the following year we took 15. And almost every year, 80 to 90% of those girls who attended, who came to be God's hands and feet to, to people in El Coyote, Mexico of all places, heard the gospel. Now, almost 20 years later, we have an alumni of dental hygienists all over the country who came to faith in Christ and now they're serving as missionaries throughout the nation. They still are dental hygienists by profession, but they realized that their greatness was not their profession or their vocation. It was that God used a dental hygiene professor to take them on a trip where they would use their skills, but they would come to understand that their greatest, their greatest asset was being a witness for Jesus Christ. It's time to redefine greatness in your life. What are you doing in your service for others? Whether you realize it or not, although you may claim to be a Christian and have all the doctrine down, you're not an authentic Christian until you learn to serve others and give your life away. Number six, realize God created everything, including you and me, to be used. Man, we had a power outage at the house, and I was prepared. Oh, buddy. About three years ago, I'd bought a new flashlight, put new batteries in it, stored it in a safe, dry place. I'd never needed it, but I knew exactly where it was. When the lights went out, I felt like the well-prepared husband. I announced, hold on, I've got this. I got out that still brand new, never been used flashlight, turned it on and nothing happened. It was strange because it had never been used. The flashlight was new, the batteries were new. I started unscrewing the top and I heard this grinding noise. I opened, opened it up and those rusty flakes started flying everywhere. The batteries were totally corroded. Batteries are made to be used. So are people. Human beings are made to serve uh, on purpose. And when we're not serving other people, you know what? We get corroded and rotten on the inside. And that stops the light of God from shining through us. Everything was created to be used. Lastly, someday is today. 
the very first response to Jesus from the disciples was this. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. <laughs> the Bible is filled with stories of Jesus calling people to follow and to serve him now. Jesus said, come now. Why do some of us delay choosing to follow Christ in our giftedness? Because we want comfort over growth. We, we don't want to be too stretched out. We might get tired. We might, we might appear to be, you know, kind of radical. We, we don't follow Christ because of fear. What would so-and-so think? Who cares what they think? I want to follow Christ because of indecision. Well, I, I, you know, I'm going to ponder this. Stop pondering because we're lazy. Ooh, it got quiet. Because we're commitment phobic. I heard about the Hollywood jewelry store that advertised we rent wedding rings. <laughs> Let's admit it, folks. Some people won't make a commitment to anything. A church, a club, a country, a career, a marriage, a friend, or even a family. Here's what Psalm 37.5 says. Commit your way to the Lord. Because we think we're not qualified. Can I tell you something? I'm not qualified. There's nothing that qualifies me to do what the Lord has allowed me to do all my life except him living through me. I recently uh, was contacted by some folks who were looking for a pastor and they said, we, we think you'd be a good candidate for it. I said, do you know how old I am? It was a, it was a, a fairly, fairly, uh, very well-known church. And, uh, I said, well, I appreciate your call. And, and they said, do you want to pray about it? I said, I just did. They said, no, seriously, would you like to pray about it? I said, I tell you what, I'll talk with my wife about it, and we will make this a matter of prayer. I'll call you back in a few days. And I did. I was. God, God did not call me to pastor that church. As, as complimentary as it was, as wonderful as it was for my ego, I, I said, Lord, because one of the things that they had said to me, even in that conversation, you know, we, we know this about you and this about you. And I, I wanted to say, well, what if you found out this and this? Ladies and gentlemen, hear me this morning. I'm not trying to, to, to be anything that I'm not. I'm going to tell you that God uses broken vessels. None of us are qualified apart from the qualification that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But I want to say to you this morning, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can't do it on my own, but Christ in me, the exchange life. And I think probably the last reason that we don't do it today is because we're too busy. I'm one to talk here. Man, I, I get so busy sometimes, and I, I get so many things, and I'm, I'm a great juggler, but sometimes the Lord says, stop, Alan. Just stop. Be still and know that I'm God.
Here's the question. What will you do with what you have been given, and when will you do it? The second you woke up, the second you got out of your comfort zone, the second you stopped being intimidated, the second you let go of your fear, the second you actually start serving and start giving and start caring, here's what happens. You wake up and you discover you have become the answer to somebody else's prayer. My question is this. Why would you want to live any other way? Recently, I was asked, why are you all doing at Agape Flights what you're doing for the Bahamian people? We do it because Christ's love compels it. We do it for the sake of the gospel. We don't do it for publicity or, or to make anybody think any greater of Agape Flights. Oh, I'm grateful for, for people that have donated and, 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 and people that have become aware of what we do, but we do it for one purpose and one purpose only, so that the unconditional love of Jesus Christ can be shared. And I say to you, dear church family, my church family, hear me today. Hear what God is saying. We exist so that the unconditional love of Jesus Christ can be shared, not only from a pulpit, not only from a church service, but so that day in and day out, as you leave this building, you will make friends with other people. You'll go to lunch with them. You'll, you'll meet them so that they can share the gospel with you, so that lives can be transformed and changed. In the pastorate, I did a lot of funerals, and I will tell you that when people ask me, what, what are the things that you, you miss the most and that you don't miss the most? I will tell you something that I don't miss doing, and that is being called upon, even though I was called upon and I knew it was part of the role, being called upon to preach at someone's funeral that you know more than likely, they were not a Christian. How do you bring hope? How do you do that? How do you say to people, you share scripture, but there's not a lot of hope. One of the greatest joys was being able to stand at the casket of a beloved Christian and to share their testimony and to share their life because everybody in the room knew what they had done, knew that they had given their heart and life to Christ. I told my wife the other day, I said, I've, you know, I've got my whole uh, funeral ceremony laid out. I've even got the message written so that I'll have the last word. <laughs> and you better make sure that I have the last word. <laughs> And she said, thank you for doing that. I said, I want you to do the same. You see, when it's all said and done, what's it matter how big your house was? What's it matter what kind of car you drove? What's it matter how many toys you had? Did you have Jesus? Did you share Jesus? Who will be there to meet you when you get there, serve First Baptist. Give First Baptist. Let's pray. Father, today I pray that you have.